Hey, First Class Counselors. On this episode, we finally solve the debate on whether scary stories at camp are okay or not. Well, we talk about a lot more, Matt. In this episode, we are joined by a storytelling wizard who teaches us the five rules of storytelling and why it's important to be able to sleep through a storm. So whether you're a seasoned storyteller or getting up in front of people makes you kind of want to wet your pants, there's something in this episode for you. Come gather around the campfire with Oliver, Joe Richards, and I for this episode of First Class Counselors. This is First Class Counselors, another innovative podcast brought to you by Camp Hacker. First Class Counselors is dedicated to young and up-and-coming camp mavericks. By equipping and empowering our on-the-ground staff, camp directors can rest easy knowing that our campers are having the true life-changing experience that parents expect. Find our show notes and our blog for camp leaders and professionals at camphacker.tv. Hello, camp pros. This is Oliver Gregan. My pronouns are he, him, and I'm a summer camp professional. My name is Matt Hansberger. My pronouns are he, him, and I'm the executive producer of podcasting at Go Camp Pro, and you are listening to First Class Counselors. This is a series for camp directors to give to their counselors as they hire and prepare them for the upcoming summer. Because as we always say, great camp counselors are the key to campers coming back every year. So if you give them the skills and they work on those, that's the key to camper retention. And that's going to make your summer camp awesome. So thank you for tuning into the show. Here we're going to cover one specific topic as fast as we can. It's the essentials. It's the need to knows. They can't go without. The fundamentals. The basics. And what are we talking about today? We're talking about the skill of storytelling. It's a classic camp troop of telling stories around the campfire, and it's a real one. Many of these stories can sometimes be scary. They can be of mythical background, urban legends, or even just old camp stories of great memories. Today, we're going to talk about how to cover the premeditated storytelling, stories that come prepared with a beginning, a middle, an end, a plot, a rising action, and for the best of us, some kind of a resolution. We will go through some of the ways to tell a story, uh, to tell a great story. We might recount other stories we would love to tell, but don't have the time for, which is why right off the bat, I say that if you want to reach out to Matt or I, we would love to recant these stories to you. I can personally imagine myself standing in a supermarket with my headphones in as other sharpers keep wondering why I keep saying, don't touch the pink monkey, you know, because that's how great stories are told. So (laughs) we're not alone today. Matt, can you tell us a little bit about who our guest is? That's right. I am really excited for this one because we are joined by a master storyteller and a lover of tall tales, my good friend, Joe Richards. Joe Richards is the executive director at Pierce Williams Summer Camp and Retreat Facility. He's my former boss and my current friend. Uh, He is an amazing uh, advocate for the summer camp industry, especially during these times. Um, And he's also a professional clown. Joe joins us today not only to tell us tips for telling a great story, but also to tell us a story for today's podcast. Joe, how are you today? I'm doing great. Thank you for having me. So, Joe, we'd like to uh, bring our guests in and get to know you through some quick fire questions. Are you ready? I am ready. Okay. How long have you been a camp pro? I've been a camp pro since 1999 full time. And where are you calling from right now? I'm calling from uh, Pierce Williams on site in Iona, Ontario, in my bedroom. This is my headboard. Nice. And did you make that headboard yourself? This is wood from uh, one of the old barns on site at Pierce Williams uh, from a old horse's stable. 
and it's 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 quite long and Ooh, quite wide. That's yeah. awesome. Uh, what's your favorite camp vegetable from the dining hall? Ooh, corn. Uh, what's a camp game that you'll never lose at? That I'll never lose at. Hmm. <laughs> Probably Connect Four. Favorite sports team to cheer for? Uh, the Green Bay Packers. How often do you talk to yourself, and what do you talk to yourself about? All the time. <laughs> uh, it could be uh, today. It was re- retelling this story that I'm going to share later in this episode because I have never told it out loud. Mm-hmm. Um, but it could be I tell stories to myself to fall asleep. Like I write novels and, and plot lines in my head. Or recently, I talk about things. <laughs> Over the past few nights, it's been how do how would you disappear in today's society? If you were to just disappear, where would be the best place? This is what I do to, to fall asleep at night. So. This is, that's a spinoff podcast, in my opinion. It's just like, what did Joe tell himself to fall asleep last night? Yeah. It's great. Part of that history is, you, you might have been in that session, Matt, but Oliver wouldn't know this. I was leading a session years ago, and I said to everyone in the room, there's like 15 to 20 camping professionals, and I said, you know how you, know how you tell yourself stories to fall asleep at night? And everyone was like, no. Because I just thought everyone did it, right? Like I just, (laughs) everyone, but no, apparently it's a fairly unique thing. So I would say it's, it's safe to say that you are uh, a good authority to speak to about camp stories. I would, I would hope, and I would hope that that was true. Uh, I can finally tell you that there is somebody else in the world who tries to come up with stories as they fall asleep. I'm not good at finishing the stories, but I do like start stories in my head and that's usually how I help myself fall asleep at night. So for sure. That go. is awesome. You're not alone. Oh, there is a, friends. on my, uh, on my ever, in my Evernote notes, there's a, a whole notebook called from the mind of Joe and it's just story, the start of stories. <laughs> and, uh, I think I just need a rep and someone to connect me to Netflix and I can, uh, I can just throw ideas at, they'll produce anything. So <laughs> at, the, at this point, yeah, I think almost any show yeah. is a Netflix show. Trust me, yeah. as somebody who's been sitting in front of the TV for the last four weeks, they will produce anything. So I've yeah. got all of the ideas. For, co- for context for our listeners, uh, Joe's just getting over um, some not insignificant surgery. Joe's fine, uh, but he's had lots of TV time lately. Just, just for Lots some of context. TV time, big toe fusion, we're all good. Yeah. Yeah. That's not the name of a band. That's the name of a surgery. <laughs> Another idea from Joe. So uh, for our listeners out there, if you haven't uh, got to experience the the Joe Richards experience, Joe's a great speaker on a lot of different topics, and you can check out uh, more of him and other brilliant camp professionals on the Camp Hacker podcast, and you can find that at camphacker.tv slash podcast, and um, they've been going for, this is their 10th season, I think 130. We just earlier tonight recorded episode 133. Whoa. Just as a reference. So That's serious. Yeah. Okay. Well, Oliver, we got something to aspire to. You guys are well more already you have a more well rehearsed thing than we ever have. So <laughs> we're, we are good. We're about a hundred shows behind, I think, by the end of this. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Okay, so Joe, let's dig into this a little bit. Um, We're going to talk about stories at camp. And I want to start, we're going to go controversial to start. And then we'll get uh, maybe a little deeper, easier from there, okay? So um, a big controversy at summer camps is scary stories. 
Mm. What's your, what are your thoughts on scary stories at camp? A lot of people are curious about policy choice. Some camps say yes, no. What do you say? What I say is that it's not worth it. It's mm. not in a staff. So here's where I would draw the line. If it's only staff, so if it's a staff training or a staff trip at the end and somebody wants to tell a scary story, I'm totally down with that because staff can make the choice to leave. Oftentimes, and as someone who grew up going to camp in the late 70s all through the 80s, we were never given the choice as campers whether you would could leave a setting to not hear something that was scary. Mm. And so there was a classic story. The camp I grew up at was only half an hour from this camp, and there's an old psychiatric hospital close by in um, St. Thomas, Ontario. It's a huge, if you need to understand the scale of this thing, it is a huge psychiatric hospital. Massive. And one of the stories that counselors used to tell us, not like in a campfire setting, but just like as a, you know, more on sleep out night, they would tell about, they would fake like there was news that somebody had escaped the psychiatric hospital. Uh, and I have this distinct memory of being sleeping in the treehouse at, um, at Kenesari. And they had told us that there was this guy who had escaped. And then that later that night, the treehouse was attacked by this guy dressed in overalls with a mask and hitting, like trying to chop down the treehouse. Uh, and it was like this whole setup for, um, for this thing. And so in, in my mind, scary stories just aren't worth it. It depends on the, what you call scary versus, um, versus the desire to make somebody uncomfortable, right? So mm -hmm. there's, yeah. there's jump scares versus like scary stories that make you think for the rest of your life about, being scared right? right so like the difference between let's say i know what you did last summer as a movie versus let's say the blair witch project right, right. The, the less you the value in storytelling is that your mind the minds of young people finish stories even if you don't give them the ending and that's where scary stories can can lead to nightmares or night scares or them telling their parents and yeah problematic i love that i love that you also said like the consent to walk away from a story mm -hmm. and that and, and if and if you need to pull that card like should you be pulling that card anyway because some kids won't feel comfortable to walk away so I, I i like your advice there correct yeah i just don't think it's i don't think they're worth it for in today's day and age i don't think it's worth it um because i don't think oh there's a controversial statement I don't think today's kids are as resilient as they, as they forced us to be in the seventies and eighties, hmm. right. Hmm. With just telling us stuff that, yeah, our parents let a lot of stuff go <laughs> that yeah. may or may not I, be good. I have spoken to a older camp director who has, you know, since come around to, I think, what I would consider maybe more modern camp uh, thought process. But he said when he was a counselor, the reason for telling scary stories was to make sure kids didn't sneak out of the cabin at night. So it had a purpose behind it. But then obviously we've talked about it already, but it escalates, right? You're talking about the, the weight doesn't out, you know, it doesn't outweigh it. The kids are going to, if a kid is going to have nightmares or terrors or yeah. thinking about that story for the rest of their life, your desire to be a counselor who doesn't have to worry about kids sneaking out of the cabin is, you know, overshadowed deeply. So, mm. uh, 
But going to it, why are stories so connected to camp, Joe? Like what makes camp stories or stories at camp so important? So part of what we need to understand is that camping isn't that old as an as a as a thing. Organized camping only started in the late 1800s, right? So we are at most depending on when you give that start date, let's say you say 1885 for some of the Y camps that were first off on this. Um, you're talking about 135 years in. And one of the things when you read through and follow the history is that um, stories were a method to share morals and values. And, um, and one of the reasons parents sent their kids to camp um, was to turn them to make men men and women women, right? Like this is this is an old a this is an old you know twenties, thirties, forties where the parents would send their kids away for eight weeks, and the story was used as a vehicle to to share a moral value or tell you a um, uh, sort of to train you because there weren't movies to go watch, there weren't TV shows, there wasn't Netflix, so you got these learnings through. Um, right through the, the, the story and or the oral tradition. And, and when you go further back, um, a ton of um, Native Americans and Aborigines in Australia, the spoken word is the only history they had for many, many, many years. And, and that is where those stories were told to early explorers. And, and so stories have always been a, a powerful thing um, but at camp, they were they were used because uh, remember a lot of our early camping stuff was centered around the idea of Native American traditions, um, and that has um, and so there would be a lot of Native American stories told rightly or wrongly. Um, but many of the ones I know in the Native American story share a moral and a value that we think most people would be would be po- would be positive to most people. Hmm. Yeah, I think that's really cool because, you know, with my history of storytelling, you look at how stories have changed over time, right? The old story of Snow White is not the same story white that, you know, Snow White that Disney has told. You know, those morals and maybe some of the guiding principles of stories from long ago have probably changed. Um, yeah, like if you read the original Brothers Grimm fairy tales, they are not nearly as nice as like the kids' <laughs> version of the Brothers Grimm fairy tales. So you need to be really, when, when you're looking for a camp story, like something to tell at camp now, um, it's almost like you're telling, sometimes you're telling an extended joke, right? Or something that has a, a punchline that just takes a long time to get to. And sometimes you're sharing a moral or a value. And, and I think that, um, yeah, I think that that's, that's key is that the version the version we know sometimes from movies and shows is not actually the version that was written. Mm-hmm. And I, I also think that there's, I think we could do a whole another episode. Um, and this might be even a camp hacker one about talking about cultural, cultural appropriation in the summer camp industry, you know, where we're getting our traditions and stories from. And, um, you know, I, I, I don't want to go too deep into that because I think it's important for a whole episode. Um, but I like the idea of understanding the history and understanding where these are coming from and giving credit to the people who have, um, who started those traditions and stories. And that would be my hardest part right now, Matt, is that mm-hmm. I have a book that I, that I 
uh, my, my quick history with stories and, and camp is that people told stories when I was a camper. Mm-hmm. And I loved, that was one of my best memories of being a camper, was listening to those stories, be they at night on campfires or be they at the whole camp campfire, right? Or be it um, during a chapel or something. And in 89, I had the opportunity to go to a camp counselor conference in Toronto, Ontario, where we, that's the first time I saw thousands of other camp people in the same room, Mm. right? You saw a thousand camp counselors and you're like, oh my God, this isn't just us. This is other Mm. people. And I bought a book called um, Stories for the Campfire, a collection of memorable tales for camp. Um, And I, I have it up on my screen. It was published in 1983. And it has traveled with me up until today. And the story I'll tell later is from that, is from that book. Hmm. That's awesome. Uh, I would also just say, Joe, just because I know this is something you worked really hard on um, and received an award for, is that you have gone in the archives of the Canadian Camping Magazine um, mm-hmm. and uh, just to understand like the context of what camp was like, any counselor listening to this podcast, like the, the camp industry is bigger and longer than you ever have known. Right. It was when we were counselors, we all just thought camp was our camp, but it's huge. So I'll throw Joe, I'll get you to send me the link to that archive and I'll, I'll throw it in the show notes of this episode. That'd be great. And, and just a, a really quick plug for it is, is this idea that you have, I archived all of the Canadian Camping Association magazines from 1949 to 1992. Um, so I believe it's 156 different magazines with probably 50, 60 pages per magazine, and they're all searchable on the Internet Archive. And if you're a young camp counselor listening to this and you are interested in camping and you're going to university or college, this is a great resource for research and, mm. uh, and academic study. For sure. That's awesome. Thanks, Joe. So let's, let's start to dig into the nitty gritty of storytelling. So if, if uh, a camp counselor is listening to this, uh, or maybe an LIT is listening to this, and they, have, they feel like they have zero storytelling experience, where do they start? I would argue that you should start with the five rules of storytelling. And these, we can, I can pull this one page out of, the, out of this book as a PDF and send it to you. Thank you. Um, but number one, and, and these are the five things I followed since the late 80s when I first read this. Do not apologize for your story, right? People tend to have this, especially if you've never done it before. What people tend to do is they get up and they say, okay, well, I've never done this before, so I'm sorry if it sucks, right? <laughs> never apo- A, yeah. if you're going to speak in front of a group, never apologize. Mm-hmm. And don't apologize for your story, right? Your inexperience and, embar- and embarrassment only convinces the audience that what you have to say isn't worth listening to. Mm-hmm. Um, right. The second rule is to tell a story, not to read it. There's very few stories that you need to read. Um, so there's a classic Canadian poem called the, the, ba- uh, the ballad of Sam McGee. What is the, um, do you guys know this one? It's um, a Yukon. Uh, I'll look it up, but essentially there's certain prose that needs to be read or memorized and said that way. Right. But a lot of stories are just things that you need to make your own, right? It's unimportant that you get it word for word. What's important is that you get a feel. Right. And so tell it, don't read it. Mm-hmm. Because it's, it's different. If you're a camp counselor, and I'm sure that on this podcast, you guys have talked about like reading at bedtime, 
-hmm. right? Like choosing a, um, so I, when I was a camp counselor, I would choose the Hobbit and I would start to read the Hobbit to my count, my campers. There's no way I'd finish it in five days, but the idea is that it puts them to sleep and I would read it word for word. And then I would sing the songs and, and write, whereas telling a story, don't read it because you have, every time you tell a story, it might be slightly different and that's Mm -hmm. fine. You want to get to the essence. The third rule that they list is speak to the audience and to the entire audience, not just a part of it. And this is a great public speaking, um, right? This is a great public speaking thing is that when you're talking to a group, if you make eye contact with 30 people in a group of a hundred, they're all going to think you made eye contact with them. Right. So in a camp setting, if you have a hundred or 200 or 300 kids, right, moving around and walking around and and changing your pitch and talking to the entire audience makes them feel um, like they're part of it. Mm. All of us have had an experience at some point where um, you see a guest speaker who literally only speaks to one, like one section. And you're like, I had this happen in uh, February, back when we were allowed to travel before this pandemic, um, in at the ACA National Conference in, in San Diego, the one guest speaker only spoke to one half of the room, and it wasn't the half of the room I was on, right? So we could see him on the big screen, but like he right. never even came and looked our way. And I was like, this is just awkward. And mm-hmm. talking to the whole, you want to make everybody immersed in that story. So speaking to the entire audience. And then, um, and then, as we talked about earlier, it's this idea of selecting appropriate stories um, mm. and, and giving them textures the way that it, it states here, right? So um, for the, whatever mood you want and um, where should this story fit, right? Does this story fit at, right? Is it an after breakfast story? Is it a, you know, a before program story? Is it an end of the evening story, right? So um, it, do you want to get kids riled up? Do you want to get mm. them right? This is the idea. We talked about that scary story aspect, and this is really choosing appropriate stories. And then the fifth thing is just make it your own um, so that you may give it to others, right? And there is a story I told. There's a story that a friend of uh, a camp counselor of mine told me when I was a camp director, and I learned it from him, and I forgot it. And then I, I emailed him and this is in the early two thousands. And I said, Hey, Nathan, can you send me like, do you know, this story? And he must've taken like an hour or two hours to type it out. Cause it was one of the longest emails I've ever seen. And it's the whole story. And I remember it. I I've, I've relearned it. I know what's going on. I could probably tell it now. Um, and people have said, you know, oh, well, can you send me that story? And I then said to Nathan, hey, are you okay if I forward this? And he's like, ah, I'd really appreciate it if you didn't, right? Like if they want to learn it, they'll learn it. I was like, oh, okay, more power to you. But you make it your own. So to me, that's Nathan's story. And then people who've only heard it from me think that it's a Joe story and right in, and it just goes on from there. So hmm. make it your own. So those five things, right, to quickly go back over those, right? is that you're not going to apologize. You're going to tell it, not read it. You're going to speak to the entire audience and pull them all in and then select the appropriate story and make sure that you have made it your own Um, because people will remember and feel that connection if you make it your own. 
when I see some people telling stories or even sometimes when I tell myself, I know sometimes I'll use voices, sometimes I get loud or quiet. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, you use those tricks to kind of capture attention. What are some tricks that you know that you use and how do you go about using them when you're telling a story? Um, I think there's a wide variety of things, Oliver, that you can do. Um, so there's, a, there's many different types of stories. One of the things, and, and at, here at Pierce Williams, a lot of times our stories come in right now during our chapel time, so during the religious portion of our, our and, and one of the, the most powerful stories or group participation stories are where we give them a part in the story. And I remember this from when I was a camper as well, where um, we had a cowboy story, and every time the cowboy's name was um, was said, we would all do a, like a woohoo, right? And like so, the whole audience does that. And when um, when he said, and, and a hush fell over the crowd, and they go hush, right? Like anything you can do to get kids and the story involved in that manner, if you feel like that's necessary. Not every story is should be done that way. Um, mm. I think the inflection and the tone. Um, goes a long way towards uh, having them pay attention because I've been at many campfires where, right, a campfire program is a fairly set thing where you, you know, it's low than high energy and rowdiness and skits. And, and oftentimes a story comes in at the end of the night, if you're going to do it, to sort of calm down. So instead of a second skit, you could throw a story in to calm down. And, what happens, and I've seen it time and time again, is campers are still feeling a bit rowdy. And so at the beginning of the story, they're, they feel like they can add to it. And oftentimes, I don't need to say anything to them to stop that. I continue to tell the story. And, and when you, you know that you have it right when, when you whisper and everyone can hear, right? Because they're all paying attention and they lean in and they're trying to, right. They're waiting on your every word. And I think those, those voices. And I thought about that this afternoon with the story I'm going to tell, I was like, well, how do I deliver this one line? Right. Like, how do I say, do I do a voice? But then with voices, you need to be really careful too. Right. Because, um, uh, growing up at camp in the seventies and eighties, cultural appropriation wasn't talked about so much. So mm -hmm. you could have different ethnic voices and not be judged as harshly as we may be judged today. Hmm. But I think all of those things, the voice, the tenor, the tone, the volume, um, I think when it talks about talking to your whole audience, I think that's a huge part of it as well, because you're, the way your body moves when you're telling a story is, is, is just as important sometimes, right? Think about everybody's been at a party where you hear somebody tell a story, and, and you're like, no matter what else happened at the party, you're like, that was the best part of this party is that this guy told this story about this other thing. And it was awesome. And oftentimes, very rarely would that person be sitting, you know, with arms crossed and tell the story and you loved it, right? Think about the things you love to see the people you love to hear stories. And oftentimes it's, it's about body motion as well. Joe, what I hear you saying a lot um, about is the preparation that you've done, even for the story that you're about to tell us, which like you mm -hmm. really built the hype for it. So good job on that. I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward to it. Um, 
But I, so I want to get into that. Like, what is the practice for a story? Because like reading the story, if you don't want to read the story, you can't just get up there and do it. There's some work that goes into it. So um, can you tell me a little bit about how to practice for your story that you're about to tell? Have you guys done st- song leading as your ever as oh, a yeah. session? Not, Not yet. yet. Oh, we okay. will. We will. Yeah. Don't so, get too excited for anticipation, but <laughs> there is a plan that maybe has a few camp professionals coming together to sing some songs in a future episode. So stay tuned. <laughs> so the reality is anything you're going to do in front of other people where you don't, where you want it to be successful, you should practice. Um, when you see somebody not practice, it can be because they've already practiced, right? Mm-hmm. And you just don't know. Mm-hmm. So when, um, so when I'm preparing a story, the first thing I'm going to think is, do I know it? Right? There's nothing worse than hearing a joke where the partway through they're like, oh, I messed that up. I gave the wrong line. Right? Like, right. you need to know what you're saying. And, um, and you, you practice sort of the major points, right? So what are the major points that I can't miss? Right. And so the story I'm telling tonight is short, um, specifically because I, I chose a shorter story. Right. Um, there are stories I have that can go 15, 20, 30 minutes um, that are not worth the payoff in the end, in my mind, unless you have a group of 120 people who it's worth the sound at the end for them to be like, oh, my God. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. um because what you're doing when you're when you practice and when you when you tell a longer story like that or a story that has a that is a a joke or a punchline what you're creating isn't you you're creating this experience for them and so to tell that story to one person is different than to tell it to 200 people because those 200 people can talk for the next 5 years about this one time do you remember when, when Joe, the camp director, got up and told the story about, um, about the greatest conductor in all the land, right? And that's a memory that they can live with for the next five years versus, um, right, a, a story. There's some, some Native American tales that I used to tell with really strong morals about helping others and being kind and, and thinking of others first and and those were ones that are more contemplative versus ending with a, a joke or like a, a really long dad joke to be told as a story. Did that answer the question? Prep, prep for anything is important, right? Like um, the longer you do something, the more it looks like you didn't prepare for it. Mm, yeah. Meaning yeah. If, I a, if I present at a camping conference now, I rarely – worry about taking a ton of time to get my session ready because I've led let's say 40 sessions at various conferences and I I once again like a story I go through what are the major points I don't need to have it written out unless they ask for a script so I think that's, I, I, I often think about, you know, staff see us do things like I can get up and improv a song on my guitar, but like you, that doesn't come from nowhere. You have to, and, and what I say to staff is you have to earn it. You have to earn the ability to improv something and earning comes from just experience and, and practice over and over. Um, Correct. And, and that's awesome. Yeah. yeah so, I, I, do you think it's time? Is it time for the story? Oh yeah, for sure. I, 
we've built up enough anticipation for it. I'm awaiting <laughs> and keen. I kind of wish that I had brought some props with me, like a blanket and maybe like a stuffed animal to <laughs> listen, but uh, more power to you. Yeah, I do. Um, but with that being said, and I guess here we go. Uh, Joe, can you tell us a story? I can. I can tell you guys a story. I'm going to tell you a story about this guy I know. So there's this guy I know, and his name is Sam Cook. And Sam Cook is a farmer. And Sam Cook is one of those farmers. And if you didn't grow up on a farm, there's lots of stuff to do on a farm, right? You have you have tractors that need fixing. You have livestock that needs you need needs to be dealt with on a daily basis. And at the end of the day, there's lots of stuff to do to to get the farm, you know, sort of ready for the night. And then everything starts again. I grew up on a farm, and and Sam grew up a, a Sam was a couple of farms over, and Sam, uh, the story is told that Sam was looking for a hired man. Now, back in the day, hired men lived right in the house with the, the farmer. So they had a, like a sort of like a granny suite for the, the hired man. And Sam's under his tractor fixing it one day. And up comes this guy, and he introduces himself. He, he calls himself Bill Jeffers. And Bill says, uh, I, um, so you're looking for a hired man? Sam, Sam says, yeah, I am. He says, well, and Sam says, well, what can you do, Bill? And Bill says, well, um, I, I can sleep through a storm. And, and Sam's like, well, okay. And then he tried to ask some more questions. And the only answer he could get from this guy was, I can sleep through a storm. And so, you know, Sam wasn't feeling all that great about Bill. And he said, uh, listen, listen, Bill, I have another guy who's applied um, who I have to talk to still. So why don't you come back next Saturday and we'll talk then to see if it's still available. So Bill leaves and Sam goes about his day. And well, sure enough, next Saturday, who shows up again but Bill? Bill Jeffers shows up. Sam is like, well, I might as well give him a try since I don't have the other guy. And uh, he hires Bill. And he just thinks, man, that guy's a little bit a little bit slow, a little bit something's not quite right. You know, because the only answer when I asked, you know, what can you do is I can sleep through a storm. I just didn't get it. It turns out over the next three weeks, Bill is the best hired man that Sam has ever had. This guy is a self-starter. He knows how to fix things. He knows what needs to happen. He is just great. He's always willing to learn new stuff. He's great. And so this goes on for three weeks. And um, and one night, Bill is in bed um, and the storm comes. And if you haven't if you didn't grow up on a farm or haven't visited a farm, a storm can be a, a horrible thing because there's so many things. And so when Bill went to bed, he saw the lightning in the distance and, or sorry, when, when Sam went to bed and he saw the lightning in the distance and then around midnight, he woke up and he could, he could sense the storms right there. And it was going to be a big storm, lots of rain. And so he got up and got dressed to go and to go out and, you know, shut the barn doors and put the tractor away and, and get the, get all the livestock and things. And, so he gets dressed in his full farm gear and he goes to the hired man's room and he bangs on the door and he can't see. Bill doesn't answer. He bangs on the door some more and Bill doesn't answer. And Sam is pissed. And Sam's like, I'm going to fire that guy in the morning. And he goes out to get the farm ready for the storm. And when he gets outside, the tractor's away, the barn doors closed, all the livestock are in their pens. Everything is ready for the storm. And that's when he realized what Bill could do and why Bill could sleep through a storm because he got it already. 
And how awesome would it be in our lives if we were always prepared to sleep through the storm? I don't know if you can hear me clapping. But <laughs> that's awesome. Thanks, Joe. Oh, I love, I love that. I love it. Yeah, nice, nice short, short story, quick to get to the point, not obtusely obvious as to what's going to go on immediately, but uh, yeah. Yeah. Hey, Oliver, we were going to do this, this after the fact, but let's keep Joe around for a bit of debrief on that story. Can you, Oliver, tell me, tell me something that you noticed about Joe's story that you really liked. Yeah, if you notice, I'm taking notes. If you're watching the YouTube, I'm like, all right, cool. What are you do? Okay, Joe? Are you okay to stick around for a sec? Yeah, I'm okay. Okay, cool. Uh, I I liked just at the right off the bat how he began the story with something I really enjoyed. It was I'm going to tell you a story about a guy. Doesn't tell me the guy's name. Doesn't tell me anything else. But he has me captured right at the moment because that first sentence already has a mystery. All right, tell me about this guy because I don't know everything right off the bat. He could have been the start of the story could have been, let me tell you about the story named uh, Sam, who's a farmer, right? Like right, right off right. the bat, you're, I know information, but with that right off the bat, the first question gave, or sorry, the first line gave me questions. And I, I like that part right do, off the bat. Do you, know what, do you know what I thought was really cool too, was that I almost didn't know that you started telling the story. Like it, it was very mm-hmm. just like we were having a conversation and then mm-hmm. it was, we were into the story and my brain was like, catch up, catch up, pay, pay attention, pay attention. And then I was like, oh, Sam, yep, hiring. A, <laughs> yep. Okay. And because it took me that extra second, I really paid attention then. Um, and I, I thought that was great. And I just picture like it comes time in the campfire for, for the story time. And even if it says story time on the, on the whiteboard or on your order, if you have that, you know, I, I picture Joe just standing up from wherever he was sitting. It's like, did you, I don't know if you grew up on a farm, but, uh, and, and then, um, yeah, I thought, I thought that was super, super cool. Right. Yeah. And it's really important to do that with a group because it does catch people off guard mm-hmm. a little bit and they do want to catch up. So you're tricking their mind to be like, well, I've already missed something. And unlike Netflix or DVRs, they can't rewind to figure out what they missed. <laughs> That's right. The, another great trick that I saw was explaining what a hired man was, right? Could have mm-hmm. been like, it was the 1800s, you know, it was farming and, uh, you know, kind of setting the stage for what an 1800 farms look like and really saying it of what it was. But instead he did something which I always like to call um, saying by showing. So he explained what a hired man was to mm. set that time period, right? So now... I have a time period that this is all going on. I got a better idea of what these people's lives are like. And it's not through directly saying it, but through showing it through one aspect and kind of give me a little quick lesson on what a hired man is and how that works in this time period. So it was really cool to say by showing rather than just saying outright mm. what something was. I want to I jump in on that too, because uh, what I really loved was that the story was like if people were invited into the world of that story. And, and they felt like I didn't, I, I did not, me, Matt did not grow up on a farm, but I knew enough details through the story that I could follow along with the story. I didn't have to like, you know, knowing what a hired man was for was helpful. Um, but I, you know, if I know nothing about farming, I would still understand the story and why, and why it was important. Um, because Joe gave just enough details because especially when you're telling a short story you have to be aware of what details 
need need to be included. And you said that, Joe, in your in your prep time. What details have to have to be there for the story to be successful? And what details don't, right? Mm-hmm. Oliver might have said it in the 1800s, and Matt, you might have said it in the 1960s. I didn't give a date. And, mm-hmm. and so somebody could have easily said, you know, this is a, somebody who was introducing that story might have told it as, you know, this is a story from 19 or, you know, from 1910, but mm-hmm. that is unimportant, right? In, in storytelling, it's this idea that you're, you know, you're showing, not telling. It's the, it's the essence of writing, right? And you, you give them enough details for them to create the picture in their head. Joe, I also saw some body language stuff that you did too. Just that mm. I thought was was engaged. And Zoom is not the easiest place to tell a story. I mean, you can still do it, but um, I imagine when you're telling that story, you're bought, you do even more body language. But I saw you like counting on your fingers and just gesturing. You weren't just sitting there and, and talking. Yeah, and if people, so if people are listening on the podcast, not watching on YouTube, um, I'm a giant guy. Like I stand six three, six four. I weigh well over two hundred and fifty pounds, and so as a camp director, I'm just a larger than life sort of entity, and and so so when I'm walking around a campfire telling a story like that, and in most cases, people tend to pay attention to me. But I think the um, the hand motions and the and and the other things because I thought about that earlier today. Right, it's different telling a story here. Uh-huh. than it would be sitting in a room with you guys, right? Or sitting around the campfire because um, you can gauge what's going on. So uh-huh. early in the pandemic, I did a a webinar for Camp Hacker on difficult conversations. And the challenge with it is I couldn't see anybody. So it's not like Zoom where I can see your guys' cameras. It was just a webinar where it's just me looking at me. And that I couldn't tell if people were laughing at the jokes or if people were nodding when I was saying things. So you have to, you have to trust yourself that you're saying something worth people hearing. But in, in storytelling, the, it's, it's not just way, the, the way you say it, it's the way that people see it as well. Mm. Yeah. Oliver, anything else you want to, you want to jump on? Uh, no, I think I'm good. I, I mean, there's so many little details that I can point out. And if you look, I got notes galore on them for all of our <laughs> YouTube people. Um, so hopefully I'll become a better storyteller in my own right. But thank you so much for joining us, Joe. And thank you for telling us uh, a story that I can now use around the campfire. Can I, can I just sure. pop in on, I want to pop in on one more thing that, that this is mm-hmm. what I think of. I, I was like, if storytelling wasn't a big part of the camp that I grew up at. And I also think um, in the age of distraction. So we were talking about why Zoom is hard. You know, I have my show notes up on my laptop right now. I have my stopwatch going to make sure that if we make any mistakes, we can do editing. And um, staying focused on someone who's talking is not a skill that the our campers these days naturally have. There's always a device. There's always a, a, a way um, that, they, and you know, there's constant ways to interact. But to sit at a campfire and listen to someone speak, I think that's a real gift that we can give to kids um, and show them that the the human connection can be just as powerful as all the bells and whistles that a Netflix production can do. So um, I, I, that's, that's something that I wasn't expecting to walk away from this podcast with. But and I think if, if I can leave camp people with one thought, it's this idea of stories don't need to be limited to the campfire. 
one of you could choose a point in the day that is um, that is slower or that is sort of a filler time. So that after dinner before evening program, you could build in 15, 20 minutes where there's a story happening. And after the first two nights, I am positive that kids would rush to get to there in time, right? Because oftentimes people are slow to get somewhere. At the end of a night, stories are a powerful way to tell people something that they can then think about as they go to bed um, as well. So it is, uh, I think it needs to be built back into our camp programs more um, and also training staff on how to tell better stories. Mm. I think this warrants, a, this might warrant a part two episode, Alver. I think there's some more things and, and we'll have Joe back. I feel like he could talk more about stories. I just, I just have <laughs> a feeling. Yeah, Maybe. It's, uh, it's such an important art form and it offers so much to campers that if you are a counselor listening to this, uh, definitely take notes and, you know, look at some of the information. We'll definitely have a lot more in the show notes for people to take a look at on how to build that skill because it's a valuable thing to have just to be able to speak and have people listen. Wow, that was awesome. So great to have Jill on, Oliver. And I think, I think this definitely warrants uh, a part two in storytelling. What do you think? Yeah, for sure. I know that I had more in my show notes to talk about, so I am excited <laughs> to do a storytelling part two. Yeah, let's do it. Okay, let's move on to our Eggle, ever-growing, ever-learning, shall we? Yeah, I love these. They're a trick, a tip, a game, a song, something that counselors can actually use or do at camp to be better every day. Nice. Yeah, so I'm going to kick off with one of my favorites. This was uh, brought to me by an old camp director that I really enjoyed. Uh, I have put the link to Amazon to buy a set of them on uh, on our show notes. So please go and look. But they are the Rory Storytelling Dice. Uh, what they do is essentially they are six-sided dice with pictures. And they're themed ones. So some might be themed around mythological creatures. Some might be... Uh, Halloween themed. There's a bunch of different crazy ones, but essentially you can get yourself a pack and you sit there at the table, you roll them. And then the challenge is to tell a story using just those dice that hopefully has a beginning, a middle and end. And it's kind of cool. Uh, if you've ever learned about uh, structuring your creativity with uh, rules, these pictures kind of force you into telling a story uh, using these specific devices. So it's a lot of fun. I really enjoy telling stories with them. And I highly suggest if you're a counselor to have these as maybe something that's in your backpack that you can pull out on short notice to tell some stories that sometimes get a little crazy when you're telling them with kids. That's awesome. I love that. Very, very uh, on brand for this episode, Oliver. Good work. Um, I'm going to go in a different direction. Uh, I have a Never Can Tell to share. And if you, if you haven't heard of Never Can Tell, some people call them I'm in uh, activities. And basically what it is, it's a, it's a secret game with, with a secret code that you have to figure out. So uh, what I'm going to be doing uh, is one called Snaps. And Oliver, uh, Oliver might be in on it. So uh, we'll give you a second to guess what the secret code is. It's a code word, and uh, we'll, we'll give you a second, then, Oliver, if, if he can do it, he'll solve it. Are you ready, Oliver? All right, all right, all right, let's, hold on. We're linked through Zoom, but let's just link telepathically. Like it, yeah, get yep, this okay. Together. All right. <sighs> Oliver, Snaps is the name of the game. The name of the game is Snaps. Can you tell I'm excited about this? Tell me more, Oliver. All right. 
If it's coming across through the thousand of miles that Matt and I are apart, I'm going to say that the word that you are trying to tell me is cat. Yes, that's right. Yeah, so that is snaps. We, we could do a bunch more examples. I want to give you a quick insight on Never Can Tells as a counselor, because I, I, in my opinion, this is important. A never can tell, um, when, it, when you figure out a never can tell, it feels really good. I remember getting snaps for the first time as a camper, and I felt like a million bucks. I felt so smart. And as a rule, I never tell people the answer to a never can tell. What I do with campers is I'll make it easier. I'll say, okay, pay attention to what I'm saying or pay attention to what I'm doing. And I never, I never give it away but I always do it so that they can figure it out in some way. Because with younger campers, they want to be in on the secret and it doesn't feel good to be excluded in that way. If you're a staff member, no, you can figure it out yourself and, and you can be resilient. But like we talked about with the storytelling, kids aren't always the most resilient and we don't want to make them feel bad for not knowing something. So uh, snaps is my never can tell. And if you know the secret um, then you can reach out to me at matt at gocamp.pro to talk about this show uh, or anything else or tell me the answer uh, for what Snaps is. I would love to know if you are in on the Snaps magic. Oliver, how can people get a hold of you? Uh, people can get a hold of me through my email, which is oliver.gregan.scd at gmail.com. And you can use that if you want to email me and uh, ask for a story. I will send you a story if you'd like. Uh, and... Um, or I'll even flash call you and give you a story while I'm walking through a supermarket. Who knows? Uh, it's been a while since I've gotten to tell a story, so I'm looking for an avid listener so I can practice my craft. Wow. Lots of, lots of incentive for emailing people. I like yeah. it. I like it. Well, that is our show, and hopefully just part one of storytelling. So if you enjoyed it, we would be so grateful if you could leave us a review wherever you are listening to the podcast. Your ratings and reviews not only tell us what you like about and don't like about the show, but also helps boost our rankings and helps more people discover the show. And also don't forget to check out our show notes. You can find them by going to gocamp.pro slash FCC and find all the links to the many storytelling stuff that Joe talked about. Um, and you can find links to our eggle and, and all the different things uh, on our show notes. So that's gocamp.pro forward slash FCC. And thanks for listening, friends. And remember, camp is camp and camp's all good. First Class Counselors is brought to you by Beth and Travis Allison, Summer Camp Leadership Training and Marketing Consultants. Thanks for listening, friends. Hey, Camp Pros. We love that our industry is built on sharing. In order to foster that spirit, if you've gotten even one good idea from a Go Camp Pro podcast, masterclass, from the Summer Camp Professionals Group, a conference, or wherever else, we ask that you give credit where credit is due. That way, it'll encourage camp pros to keep freely sharing their ideas and make the camp industry as a whole better.